I like to move around a bit, so I gotta clear the way. Good morning, friends. Oh, it's so good to see you all, and like Brad, I have a lot to be thankful for today. Will you guys just uh, join me in thanking our worship team this morning for doing such a great job? It is, it is a huge blessing to me to be able to be freed up to do other things, to like preach and to, to oversee some things while Pastor Carl's on sabbatical. So I'm thankful for having our intern Matthew with us and having such a great team of people that are willing to pull that together and, and lead us in worship because worship is so important to what we do in the life of the church and how we live together in community. I'm not here to talk about worship today. You'll get that later on. We're doing some worship stuff later on in the summer. But today, we're continuing a series, You Won't Believe. Those three words that tell you, you'd better pay attention to what comes next, right? You won't believe it. This is incredible. So we're in the middle of this series. It's called you won't believe this is week three, and as you've already heard the last two weeks, this series is about incredible, seemingly unbelievable stories that we find in the Bible. These are miraculous events, times when God showed up in unexpected ways and made big changes in the lives of people. These are the kinds of things that I would imagine if they happened today— you would find them in headlines on your favorite websites, just begging you to click on to read more about what happened. You won't believe what happened after Jesus was killed. You won't believe that Saul, the persecutor, actually became a follower of Jesus. Those are the, the two first stories that we heard about in this series. And I loved what Bishop Keith had to say last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to his message, please go back on our YouTube channel or on our sermon podcast and give that a listen. Fantastic message. And he talked about the wonder that we experience when we read these stories. Opening our eyes to the miraculous, amazing power of the God that we serve. We all carry the capacity for that wonder. The idea of being enchanted by mystery being curious about things that capture our imagination. You know, sometimes I think we use our natural curiosity to investigate things that don't really matter, or, or even things that we have no business knowing about in the first place, like those clickbait headlines and, you know, tidbits of gossip that come our way. You know, I think things like clickbait and social media news and gossip can get the best of us, because if we're being honest, sometimes I think we would rather read stories about our Hollywood celebrities or about spoilers for an upcoming movie than we would read miraculous true stories in the pages of Scripture. I get it, because this is the culture and the time that we live in. These are the things that go on our, in our world, and these gossipy tidbits seem attractive to us. I'm sure that if we weren't naturally drawn toward gossip, there wouldn't be a market for it. No one would be trying to sell it to us. But they do, and we do, right? So have you ever been sucked into gossip before? I don't see any hands. <laughs> I, remember, I remember when I was younger and I was going to public school, and it seemed like gossip was everywhere. 
You know, everybody was always talking about, like, what happened over the weekend or who's failing math class or the favorite thing was who likes who, right? You know, who's interested in who. And uh, I remember once in, in high school, there was this girl that I was interested in, that I liked, and I was kind of talking to her, getting to know her. Now, it, it was just in the early days of the internet, and so we were actually doing a lot of our talking online. We were talking on the computer, over the computer. One day, as we were online together, out of the blue, she started acting really differently towards me. I didn't understand what was going on, and I asked her about it. Things were going uh, so well the day before, and then suddenly, you know, I, I was hoping I would work up the courage to ask her for a date, but then suddenly, she was really cold and different, and, and so I had to ask her, what, what's going on? Why, is, why things seem tense between us? And she, she came to admit to me that somebody had told her that I had said something really unkind about her. Now, I hadn't, and I denied it, of course, you know, if I wanted to ask her on a date, then of course I'm not going to go around saying bad things about her. So, no, I didn't do that, but she wouldn't believe me. No matter what I said, she wouldn't believe me. And that day when we signed off, never spoke to her again. Never had one more conversation in our whole life. Now, it worked out pretty okay for me because I've got a pretty awesome, beautiful family this day that I couldn't have possibly imagined when I was in high school, right? That, that's still okay. But the fact remains that gossip took on a life of its own, and it hurt me, right? I was thinking this week about gossip and why it's such a negative thing. I think one big reason is that gossip hurts uh, reputations, like it did to me in the story that I just shared. You know, somebody said something about me that I did to this girl, and it hurt my reputation in her eyes. But it wasn't just actually my reputation that suffered. What about the person that shared that information in the first place? Because I think if you're known to be someone who spreads gossip and rumors, you probably suffer from a little bit of a reputation problem. You know, if I choose to spread rumors or gossip about you, then what am I saying? I'm saying you really can't trust me with information about you, especially sensitive information. So my reputation is going to suffer as a result. I think that by itself is enough of a reason not to engage in gossip. It hurts your reputation. But secondly, gossip also hurts emotionally, too. When I was young, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a lot of people around me sharing what was going on in other people's lives. You know, I wasn't privy to all the best gossip. These days I hear the kids call it the tea. Nobody was spilling their tea to me. You know, I wasn't part of the loop. But I do remember how hurtful it seemed when it seemed like other people were talking about me. And I remember churches I've been in where gossip has been a problem too. I'm not saying that about us, but there is an old joke that goes something like, circling up to pray is the best time to hear gossip and to share gossip, right? Oh, Lord, please be with Sally. We know Sally has this problem every night drinking wine before she goes to bed. Oh, Lord, please be with Sally's husband, Bill, because we know he can't stop scratching lottery tickets. You know, uh, we say that, we, we joke about it, we laugh about it, and I know that you'll have a laugh, but then you won't turn around and go do the same thing, right? Because there's a special kind of pain that comes with the betrayal of trust from someone in your church family. I think I heard an amen to that. There's a special kind of pain that comes from someone in the church betraying your trust. Talk about carrying emotional hurt, right? Well, I'm happy to say that I trust the people of this church, 
my experience has been that we can share our needs and our prayer requests with each other and not worry about gossip and not worry that somebody's going to betray us. I, in the over three years that I've been here, I've never seen someone misuse sensitive information about another person, and I'm proud of that, and I'm happy to be able to say that. So if you today find yourself needing to be vulnerable with someone, I suggest you can find that person here at Mount Joy Mennonite Church. This is a place where we encourage each other, we walk together, we carry each other's burdens. We're not looking to add to them by hurting each other. So if you need someone to lean on, to share with, look for that person, find that person Especially if you're the kind of person who has hurt that you're carrying. Especially if you're a person who's experienced hurt where your reputation has been damaged. Either by something that someone said about you, or even something that you've actually done yourself. Maybe today, you need healing from things you've experienced. Maybe your hurt is so big and your reputation is so poor that you even struggle to believe that you're worth loving. Or that you're worth saving. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you today that redemption is real. Redemption is real. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what's been said about you, you are worth loving and you are worth saving. And I know that because I've seen Jesus do it. And I've seen him do it for me. And I want him to do it for you. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about someone whose reputation was complete trash, who needed redemption. I'm betting this person was the subject of a ton of gossip. At the point we meet her in the scripture story, she literally cannot be in a worse situation. She's about to die. Join me in John chapter 8, verse 3. As Jesus was speaking the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now before we go on, let's break this down a little bit. Here we have a scene that we've seen in other parts of the gospel account of Jesus' ministry. Jesus, when he would go out to teach, he would draw crowds. He would draw huge numbers of people that would be around him wanting to hear every word that he had to say. So this sets the scene for us. Jesus is in the middle of a crowd, people who are listening to him teach. And into the crowd, busting into the crowd, comes this group of religious leaders dragging along this woman. They throw her down in front of Jesus and they put her there and they say, here's this woman we want you to pay attention to and talk to us about. Here's a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. Okay, caught in the act? So obviously people knew what she was up to, right? They knew what was going on with this woman. They must have been talking about her. They must have been watching her. They must have been following her in order to catch her in the act. If they knew what she was up to, why didn't they do anything? Especially, my friends, religious leaders. I'm sorry, where have these people been? If they're seeing this person in trouble, they're watching her life go down the tubes, 
where have they been? Why have they not spoken up? Why have they not walked up to her and said, we, we see there's a problem we want to help you with. We want, we want to teach you the ways of the God that we claim to follow. The religious people, instead of doing that, instead of offering her a kind hand and a walking through life together, they watched her falling into a trap of sin, so th- and they waited so that they could bring down a hammer of judgment on top of her. Verse 5 says they wanted to stone her. Indeed, that is what the law of Moses says. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22 says, if a man is found committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. If a man is found committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. Now, for the sake of our talk today, I'm going to set aside the fact that the man in this equation is nowhere in the story. He is not to be found. Because I think what was happening here was these religious leaders were actually twisting the law to make a point and serve their own purpose by condemning this woman publicly, leaving the man out, condemning her publicly in order to trap Jesus. Right? That's what they wanted to accomplish. Just so you know, I do see that the man is missing, and I wanted to acknowledge that. But let's look here in verse 6. The law of Moses says to stone her, Jesus. What do you say? Verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Now, here comes the miraculous part. Are you ready? The miracle's about to start. Verse 9. When the accusers heard this, watch, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was, the le- was left in the middle of his crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Did you catch the miracle? The woman was caught dead to rights. No excuses. No alibis. No chance she's innocent. According to the law, she deserves to die, clearly. I just imagine this woman standing in the middle of the crowd knowing her end was about to come. We don't think about that. That her standing there being surrounded by these people, she's probably watching them as they pick up stones and they get ready to bring justice down upon her. But Jesus, he didn't respond like anyone else. He stooped down, he wrote in the dust, And he almost offhandedly said, all right, you can stone her, but let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. Suddenly, as he stood and as he said this, the ironclad consequences of the law for her sin melted away. As each one of them heard that, and slipped away, so did the consequences go with them. And then, you won't believe what he said. Jesus gives those famous words 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Why do I say you won't believe what he said? Because it's incredible. It's unbelievable. There's such a drastic difference between the way that the religious people treated this woman and the way that Jesus treated her. Completely different night and day. Everyone around her is watching her, gossiping around her, judging her. Jesus flips the script. Completely different. He was the only one in the crowd, ironically, who had the right to judge this woman. Remember he said, let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone? He has never sinned. He's right there. He could have done it. He could have pronounced judgment on her in that moment. But instead, in the face of her sin and her ruined reputation, he does something completely unexpected. He offers redemption. Jesus offers redemption. Now, redemption, that's a word we might know. It's a concept we might take for granted, like these miraculous stories in the Bible that we've heard over and over again. But redemption is at the heart of the most miraculous story of the Bible, which is Jesus' resurrection. Right? The gospel, get this, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is about redemption. You can't understand Jesus without understanding his redemptive power and applying it to your own life. We're going to come back to that idea in a few minutes, but you have to accept, believe, and receive the redemption of Jesus, that it is for you in order to be able to understand who Jesus is as Savior and Lord. We might get the idea on one level of what redemption is. It's about being saved from sin. But I think that redemption is much bigger than that. Redemption from Jesus is transformational. It comes from a purely undeserved forgiveness. Think about it. When Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you, what is he saying? I forgive you. I will no longer count your sin against you. But then that's not all he says, right? He says, go and sin no more. He asked her to repent. Change directions. Don't keep living like you've been living because now I have given you this free gift, this purely undeserved forgiveness. Let it change you into something that's brand new. We you and me, we don't follow the law of Moses anymore. We don't, we don't operate in the same way. But I think we still have just as much capacity for judgment as those religious people did in Jesus' time, don't we? And sometimes we can get into religious mode, for lack of a better term, and we can start acting in a way that looks more like that than it does like Jesus. You know, this woman committed a serious offense. And according to the law of Moses, she, she deserved to die. We should stone her. But what do we do today when, when we see an offense? We block people on social media. We shut them down in conversation. We say, they're on the other side of the issue. They're wrong. They're evil. We're not going to listen to them anymore. You might call it canceling people. We're not going to give them any respect. We're not going to give them social status. We're not going to follow them anymore. We're going to shun them. They're not like us. 
that is ugly. That is not like Jesus. And it happens in our Christian hearts just as much as it happens in the rest of the world. And I see it happening around the world from people that I think would rather, if they truly saw it in themselves, would rather take the Jesus road than be known for judgment. So we need to encourage each other in that same way. Jesus was confronted with this poor woman who was 100% guilty. No chance she's innocent. 100% wrong, and he offered her redemption. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. In fact, the Bible tells us that one day he's going to judge all of us. Why didn't he just do that? If that's his job, didn't she deserve judgment? Wasn't she guilty? The religious people definitely thought so. But Jesus turned around and he gave her mercy instead. He forgave her. He showed his love for her and then he sent her out into a completely new life. One where she could be free of the sin she used to be trapped in. There are a couple of scripture passages that speak to the way that God does this and the why he does this. And I want to look at them together. The first one is in Romans chapter 5 starting in verse 20. Read this with me. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. And if you remember, Jesus said, let, no one, let, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone, right? All people should be able to look at the law and see that they're sinful. And I think that's what happened when those people slipped away in the crowd. It, says, it goes on to say, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now, because of Jesus, God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, it's worth saying that this scripture we just read in Romans chapter 5 was written by Paul. If you remember Paul from last week's message, he had his own you-won't-believe moment with Jesus where his life completely changed. Paul understands this concept of redemption. He knows redemption is real. He knows what God's grace feels like. And that gives him the authority to speak about it. Paul wants us to understand redemption like he does. That transformation takes place in our lives from the undeserved forgiveness that we receive. Remember earlier when I said that you can't understand Jesus without understanding his redemptive power and applying it to your own life? My friends, the power of God, the grace of God, is a tremendous gift to you. To you, for you. We humans often walk around with a lack of grace that we show to ourselves and to other people. We tell ourselves things like, I'm not good enough. I can't do enough. I'm not measuring up. And then we look at other people and we do exactly the same thing. We judge them for not being perfect and not doing enough and not measuring up to our expectations. But friends, God doesn't see us that way. And he doesn't want you to see yourself that way. 
And he doesn't want you to see other people that way. You have to apply the redemptive power of Jesus to your own life to fully understand it. There is a a book that is dear to me that has made a huge impact on my life in the past few years. It's called Victory Over the Darkness, and it's written by Dr. Neil Anderson. I highly recommend this book to anyone, anywhere, anytime, for any reason. Dr. Anderson does a great job of detailing all of the times and the ways that God expresses for us how he sees us in the scriptures so that we can know that our true identity is found in Jesus Christ and not in how we feel about ourselves or how other people feel about us or what they might say about us. I want you to listen to these straight from Scripture. John chapter 1, verse 12, I am God's child. John 15, verse 15, I am Christ's friend. Ephesians 1, 1, I am a saint. Ephesians 2, 10, I am God's masterpiece. 1 Corinthians 3.16, I am God's temple. Romans 8.35-39 says, I cannot be separated from the love of God. Hebrews 4.16, I can find grace and mercy in time of need. John 15.16 says, I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. Ephesians 3.12, I may approach God with freedom and confidence. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my friends, I'm not even done. This is not even the beginning of all the things that God says about us in Scripture. When you trust in Jesus, this is how God sees you. You are no longer a sinner. You don't have to listen to that voice in your head that says you don't measure up. Because in God's eyes, you are a masterpiece. And he welcomes you and he walks with you as your father and your friend. This is the kind of amazing, you won't believe it, transformation that God offered to the woman who was ready to be stoned to death for her sin. And he offers it to you today. Redemption is real. Redemption is real. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. God offers us redemption through Jesus Christ. And it's not just for our sake because we need it, and we do need it. It's because he loves us so much, and because the transformation that we then live out in response to our redemption shows the love and power of God to other people. You are a change-transformed life. And as a change-transformed life, when you trust in Jesus, you play a role in the changing and transforming life process for people all around you. The influence that you have as a member of the body of Christ, as part of his family, cannot be overstated. 
We rely on God, his strength, and his power in us to make a change that impacts the entire world. It's in your family. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your community. It's in the whole world because it can start right with a spark in your own heart when Jesus makes that change for you. We can literally say to other people who are down and out, whose reputation is in the trash, who believe themselves to be unworthy of love, you won't believe what he said about you. He said you are precious. He said you are worthy of love. You are worth saving. And just like when he said to that woman, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more, the undeserved forgiveness that God offers you comes with a promise that your life can be different, that you don't have to be trapped in sin and shame anymore. I want to make an invitation to you today because I believe there are two kinds of people listening to this message. One, there's someone who hasn't trusted in Jesus before, who doesn't believe what Jesus has said or hasn't found a way to apply it in their own life. You may have heard all about Jesus before. You might know who he is. But the heart of the gospel good news story is about redemption, and it's for you. Jesus wants to redeem you. He wants to offer you undeserved forgiveness so that you can live a changed life. If that's you, I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and pray with me where you are. If that's you today, I want to ask you to pray this prayer right where you are and just repeat this in your heart or with your mouth. Just say, Heavenly Father, I want to trust you. I want to accept and believe and receive what you say about me so that redemption will be real in my life. Will you show me the way to trust you? I offer my sin and my shame to you. Please wipe it clean. And I will follow you from now on. Now, if you made a prayer decision like that today to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask you to find me when this service is over because I want to talk to you. I want to give you a hug, and I want to tell you how much God loves you, and I want to help you get connected to what God wants to do in your life through the family of Mount Joy Mennonite Church. There's a second kind of person, and you can look up at me now. There's a second kind of person here listening to this message today, and that's the kind of person who has experienced already the redemptive power of Jesus in your life. And if you are one of those people, we have a job to do. We get to share our redemption story with the world. Who do you know who needs redemption? Tell your story. Tell them your story. Who will you encounter in your daily life? Maybe it's an apathetic person behind the counter at the coffee shop. Maybe it's an angry person in line at the store. Who will you encounter who needs to experience the love and grace that you have experienced already? Tell your story. Live out your story. Be Jesus to that person. And another the next day. And another and again. God is making his appeal through you. Through us. Come back to God. He loves us. And you won't 
believe what he said about you. That's good news. We started today's service with a video that ran down an alphabetical list of your identity in Christ. Now that you know that, I want to invite you to watch it again and hear these words that God has said about you. These are the things that he wants you to share with others. Let's go. Because of Jesus, I am a accepted, adopted, approved, and alive. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am B, beloved, blessed, born again, and a bondservant of Jesus. I am C, chosen of God, a child of God, citizen of heaven, and crucified with Christ. I am D, delivered from darkness, dead to sin, and a disciple of Jesus. I am elect, I am forgiven and free, I am God's workmanship, I am an heir through God and hidden in Christ. I am the image of God and forever in Christ. J, I am justified by faith. K, I am kept for Jesus and known by God. L, I am the light of the world and loved by the Father. M, I am more than a conqueror and a minister of reconciliation. N, I am a new creation, I am not ashamed, I am not forsaken, I am not condemned and I am never alone. I am an oak of righteousness, once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm a priest of the Most High, and I am pleasing to God. I am qualified by the Father. I am redeemed, righteous, rescued, ransomed, and reconciled. S, I am a saint and the salt of the earth. T, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. U, I am under grace and united with Christ. V, I am victorious through Christ and vindicated by God. I am a witness of God's power, a worshiper of Jesus, and washed by the Spirit. I am an ex-enemy of God, I am yoked with Christ, and I am zealous for good works and for the glory of God. That's who I am, and that's who you are in Him. Let's worship together.